the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It was C.H. Spurgeon who said if you really stoked the fire good the night before, it would take just a couple of quick fans to get it going again in the morning. Preparation for worship. We're looking at that next here on Abounding Grace. Join us. When it comes to our preparation for worship, if we're honest with one another, most of us just don't. And a lot of us don't really understand what it means to prepare for worship, let alone prepare at all. Today on Abounding Grace, we're continuing our series on worship. Pastor Gary Wagner has us looking at a message called Preparation for Worship. So how do we prepare? In fact, we're coming to God, worshiping Him. And there should be some kind of preparation. With some details, here's Pastor Gary Wagner on today's Abounding Grace. Listen again to Isaiah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me? I have had enough of burnt offerings. I take no pleasure in your sacrifices. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Now get this from the mouth of God. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. That is absolutely incompatible with true worship. Now I hope you begin to understand what I mean when I talk about preparation for worship. A great portion of your preparation for worship should be taken up in meditation, reflection, and purification. Prayer and confession of sin. Making relationships right with one another and especially within our own families. We find in Leviticus chapter 16 that Aaron, the priest, had to cleanse himself before he was allowed to approach God. We find in Psalm 26.6 that David had to cleanse his hands before approaching the altar. We find in 2 Timothy 2.22 that we must flee from lust before we can pursue righteousness. And then in the book of James 1.21 we read, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness or continuing evil, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. You see, before we are able to receive anything from this message, before we can receive anything from the word as it is preached, we must come to it with clean hands and a pure heart, or we will not have the humility that God requires before His Word can take effect in us. We must be clean before that can happen. What good does it do to put the pure Word of God into your heart that is black from unrepentant sin? They are incompatible. Again, God says, I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. In Second Chronicles 29, 5, 
God commands, sanctify now yourselves. So again, we see we are to purify ourselves. And then secondly, he says, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers. So we are not only to purify ourselves, but we are to cleanse the house of God. How are we to do that? God says, carry the filthiness out of the holy place. That's how we do it. Worship God only by the means He has described in His Word. And how do we sanctify ourselves for worship? We deal with the sin in our lives. We confess the sin. We repent of the sin. We restore our relationships that have been broken. We make right that which we have made wrong. That's how we purify ourselves. So how do we purify God's house? Don't bring uncleanness into the holy place to begin with. And if you already have, get rid of it. What good would it do to come to a place we call a sanctuary, which is a form of the word sanctify, which is to set apart something from a common use to a sacred use or a holy use if we bring in our filthiness? There is nothing sacred about the stained glass. There is nothing sacred about the walls. There is nothing sacred about this pulpit. What there is, is sacred use of these things. The building is sacred only in the sense that we have set this place aside for this time so that we can worship God. That is the only thing that makes this place special. Otherwise, it is just boards, brick, and stucco. But in our minds and in our hearts... I believe we see it as more than that. Some of us have come to saving faith in a church, and a majority of us have been baptized in the church and had our children baptized in a church. So the church is something special to us sentimentally. R.C. Sproul was asked by a brass young seminary student one day, why the big deal about using bread and wine in the Lord's Supper? Why don't we just use graham crackers and Coca-Cola? And R.C. said, young man, because Jesus Christ never instituted graham crackers and Coca-Cola. We see the elements as something special. Even though we don't believe in transfiguration, that the wafer and the wine literally become the physical body and blood of Jesus Christ. But when we partake in our minds... They become something special, don't they? And that's why the way most of us feel about the church. Yet there is a large group of our brethren who think nothing of how they dress or the way they behave or whether they even come here to worship on time. And we'll talk more about that next week when we talk about the propriety of worship. But this is indeed a sacred place when it is used rightly for the worship of God. God meets us here, brothers and sisters. So we sanctify ourselves to God, and we sanctify the house of God by cleansing ourselves before we come into this place to worship. The 17th century Puritan George Swinnick asked this question, Suppose you are a person of great quality and estate, and the king were to send you word that you would dine, that he would dine with you tomorrow, what preparation would you make? 
What if someone you held in high esteem was to come to your home? What preparation would you then make? Sinwick goes on, Would not your first thing be to clean your house? Sweep out the dirt, mop the floors, bring out your best plates, put on your best clothes? Would you not endeavor to have everything suitable to such a great personage? I tell you, the great king of all the world gives you notice this day in his word that on such a day, the Sabbath, he intends to dine with you. Can you do less than clean out the dust of sin, wash the room of your heart clean, and adorn it with the graces of the Holy Ghost? Truly, unless this is done, Christ will not think himself welcome. Nay, all the pretended entertainment will not only be unworthy of, but provoking to so jealous and glorious a king. Oh, he is so right, beloved. Jeremiah Burroughs said in Scripture, the sanctifying of ourselves for worship and the preparation of ourselves for worship are all important. We find that Scripture makes the very uprightness of the heart to consist in the preparation for this duty and the falseness of a man's heart to consist in this. He does not make conscious to prepare his heart for God and his worship. Now, this is no new idea. This may be new to you who are hearing it, but it is not new in Scripture. In Mark chapter 15, verse 42, we find these words. And now, when the evening, even, or evening was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath. Now, you may think that was a cultural thing, but biblically, the day before the Sabbath was known as the day of preparation. A day to prepare the individual to worship on the Sabbath in the presence of a holy God who calls you to be holy. John Wells, another Puritan, said in a book called Practical Sabbatarianism, which is approximately 700 pages long and again written back in the 16th century. He gives us this sight, insight into preparation for the Sabbath. The Jews gave very solemn honor to their Sabbath. The Jews began their Sabbath at 6 o'clock the night before, and the Hebrews called it entrance to the Sabbath. These preparations for Sabbath actually began at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which the Hebrews called Sabbath Eve, borrowing the frame actually from the pagans, where religion taught them in their sacrifices to certain of their gods and goddesses to prepare themselves by a strict kind of preparation. Observe the very heathens prepared to sacrifice their idols. Among the Jews, the whole day before the Sabbath was a kind of preparation. So diligent were they in Sabbath preparation that they would go into the synagogues the day before the Sabbath and they would line up. We line up for concert tickets and for movies. The Jews lined up at the synagogue early to prepare themselves for worship. So Wells goes on. Should the Jew be so accurate and diligent in his preparation and the Christian so careless and loose? Doth the knowledge 
of, in, of Christ influenced no more, us no more than this. Let us blush to be outdone by those who rejected Christ. Now that is a penetrating statement, brothers and sisters. We ought to blush to be outdone by those who rejected Christ. To not prepare our hearts for worship is a great sin. It is a great sin. In Jeremiah chapter 7, we read these words. Do you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, that you may do all these abominations. Has this house that is called by my name become a den of robbers in your sight? Get God's question here, beloved. You go out and live your life like the world lives. You steal, you murder, you commit adultery, you swear falsely, and you offer sacrifices to Baal and walk after other gods you have not known. We live life the way the world lives. We give our hearts over to the world. We talk like the world. We embrace the world's entertainments. And then we come into the house of God without purifying ourselves, and we say, we are delivered. And God says, that's an abomination. You dare come into my house with that kind of filth on you, and you don't get rid of it, and then you have the gall to say you are delivered? That is an abomination. In Job 11, he says, Do not let wickedness dwell in your tents. Beloved, let me make this clear. I am not saying we don't sin. Neither is Jeremiah or Job. I'm not saying that Sunday after preparation, you won't sin. I'm saying before we come to worship, God, we must rid our hearts of it. We deal with it right away. In fact, in Second Chronicles, it says of one man that he did evil. Why? Because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And that is the same word for prepare as we saw in First Chronicles. Set or prepare your heart and soul to seek the Lord. It is the same word used in both verses. So, the sanctity of worship demands that we pray, prepare for worship. The purity of worship demands that we pray for worship. And it is a great sin not to prepare our hearts to worship God. Now, practically speaking, this kind of preparation, as you heard from the comments earlier by John Wells, does not begin Sunday just before you go off to church. This doesn't begin after you've gotten up, had breakfast and read the newspaper and run some errands. Those take our minds off of worship. Turn back to the book of Nehemiah. We'll read from chapter 13, beginning in verse 15. In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses as also wine, grapes, and figs, and all manner of burdens, which they brought in Jer to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals, 
There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish, in all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judas. Now notice, he didn't reprimand the individual men. He reprimanded the leadership. And he said unto them, What evil thing is this that you do, and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Now notice what he does here, verse 19. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants said, I at the gates, that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kinds of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. Notice what he did. It wasn't enough that they were selling things on the Sabbath day and profaning that. But by coming in the night before, after sundown, he considered even that as profaning the Sabbath day because that was a time of preparation. Preparation began Friday evening. Nehemiah shut the gates of the city Friday night to shut out distractions. That's the point of these verses. Ought we not then to shut the gates of our hearts and minds for the same reasons? That's my question to you, brothers and sisters. Can we really be prepared for worship if Saturday evening, and in our case Sunday morning, is spent occupied in activities that take our minds away from the noble cause we are commanded to perform Sunday afternoon? Can you really be prepared for worship if you spend all hours of the night Saturday at the movies or concerts or playing video games or watching television or partying? And what about Sunday morning? If you spend time working in the yard or washing your car or watching videos or exercising or running errands that could have been done the day before or even sitting around watching the news or reading the newspaper in detail, can you really be ready to meet with a holy God? Those are all distractions, and God commands that we prepare our hearts for His worship. Now, you may very well be out there saying, Come on now, you this time have gone much too far. You're taking away the best night of the week. That's movie night, that's party night, that's friends' night. First of all, as I've told you many times before, don't blame me. If you don't like what I've just told you, you need to speak with God. What has happened is that we have placed such a low value on worship that we even think the other 167 hours in the week belong to us. And we can do whatever we want with them. No, all of our time is the Lord's. 
and it is to be used in his service and Saturday evening is when we are to prepare our hearts and minds for the worship of God because he demands it. And out of love, it should be your heart's desire. Malachi 1, 6 through 14 is a penetrating, insightful passage about our attitude toward God and his things. God says, you are bringing me diseased sacrifices. Remember in the sacrifices, the people were to bring the spotless lamb to offer to God. But instead of giving God the best, they would go into the fold and find a lamb that was diseased and worthless and was going to die anyway. And God virtually says, you've got to be joking. Do you really expect me to accept that? He says, offer it to your governor and see if he'll accept it. What I'm saying is that we treat God in our worship, our preparation for worship, and in our lives like we would never treat someone we really think is important. And we, when we give God our leftovers and call it worship, and then we give God our leftovers and call it worship. We give Him our leftover time. We give Him our leftover money. We give Him our leftover attention. We continue to give Him our leftovers and then ask Him to consider us as something special because we gave Him anything at all. Let me tell you, beloved, even if we were to give God our very best and everything that we have, it would still be insufficient. But because of the redemptive work of Christ, He still accepts our feeble efforts. All the more reason why we should prepare ourselves as best as we are capable out of love for such a merciful God. If you truly love the Lord your God, then you will prepare to worship Him so that you can do so with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and all your energy that He might be glorified as He deserves. And then maybe if the churches awake from their slumbering, nonchalant worship, America won't be cast into the heap of God's rejected nations. Let me leave you with one more quote from George Swinwick. Prepare to meet thy God, O Christian. Take thyself to the chamber Saturday night. Be well thy unthankfulness for the ordinances of God. Shame and condemn thyself for thy sins. Beg God to prepare your heart for your religious performances. Spend time in consideration of the infinite majesty, holiness, and goodness of God. Ponder the weight and importance of holy duties. And then he says this, The oven of your heart, thus baked in overnight, will be easily heated the next day. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, teach us to prepare ourselves for worship. Teach us that our time is not our own. Help us to remember that you are here 
and we have come into your presence to bring glory to your name. You are truly here with us, and we are to bow before you and remember your majesty, your holiness, and your goodness so that we can worship you with all of our being and give you the glory that you so deserve. Help us, Lord, and remind us of our duty so that we never enter into worship with unrepentant sins or unresolved problems with our brethren. For we want you to receive our worship with gladness. May our worship be pure, and may it be done holy for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. 8665607 We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner Three-star general Michael J Flynn head of the Pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.